0: so join me today in the book of ephesians chapter 4 ephesians chapter 4 and we'll be looking at the last verses of the passage that we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks uh, but we'll read the whole passage again today so ephesians four twenty-five through 32 And we've been discussing in this passage what it means specifically that we have been saved by Christ, right? If we have been saved by Christ, if we have learned Christ, if we have been changed by the gospel, then that indeed does mean that we we are changed and that we should live changed. And so we've been looking at some of the, the necessary effects on our life of what it means to be in Christ. And so today I want us to continue to see that the Christian life is one of different speech and action in relating to others. The Christian life is one of different speech and action in relating to others. So let us attend to our passage this morning. Hear this, the word of the Lord from the book of Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 25. Therefore, So right Paul has labored, labored earlier in chapter 4 and indeed we could go back to chapter 2 and see this how he labors to show this that those who have been saved by God are necessarily different. Paul establishes the thesis right by examining what those who are outside of Christ look like with what those who are in Christ looks like. And in the passage that we've been examining here in verses 25 through 32, we've been thinking through what this means that Christ has changed us, right? That, that what we practice, what we live out changes because of Christ. So we began and looked at, right, we, we no longer lie, but we tell the truth. Uh, we may be angry over occasions, but we cannot let that anger be an occasion for sin. And indeed, we have to be done with it quickly. We are to no longer steal, but work honestly, right? To have honest work and be ready to give to those in need. We are told to not let corrupting talk, not let corrosive, divisive, destructive talk come out of our mouths, but that which gives grace, that which edifies, that which builds up. And then in verse 30, we're told we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit, right? We are not to grieve the Holy Spirit, And we grieve the Holy Spirit whenever we do those things that are not in accord with Him sealing us for the day of redemption. So that includes living in anger. That includes corruptive talk, corrosive talk. And that means, right, again, the Holy Spirit of God who seals us means we must live differently. And He does that work in us. And the context to all this, right, in in Ephesians 4 is the unity of the church. And that's important for us. And I'll emphasize that as we go along. It's about the unity of the church. Because the body of Christ cannot be divided. It's an oxymoron. It's jumbo shrimp. A disunified body of Christ is jumbo shrimp. Okay, I want that image to stick in your mind there, right? It doesn't make sense. And so, as we come to our passage, I want us to think through these last two exhortations and admonishments in verses 31 and 32, and we'll do that under the heading of new manners. New manners. That's what we'll be considering today. So, Paul begins in verse 31 by saying, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Poe writes a command here, right? It's put away. Let these things be put away from you. And so let's consider these things in turn. He begins with bitterness. And what is bitterness? It's a resentment. It's somebody did something against me, and I'm going to hold on to that and change how I am towards that person uh, in whatever way, whether that's in my speech or in my actions towards them at least in my thoughts, right? It's a feeling of resentment we bear towards others because of something they did or did not do to us or for us. It's not just a feeling that comes and goes, right? So when we're talking about bitterness, it's not just a feeling, something that comes and goes, but it's something that sticks with us. And unless we do something with it, it normally grows, it doesn't normally diminish, right? So unless we address it, it normally grows, not diminishes. Next, he mentions wrath and anger, and you could actually translate the words here in the Greek uh, either way, as in wrath could be translated anger, and anger could be translated wrath. And it could be that Paul's just using two synonyms, and it's something he likes to do in this letter. He uses lots of synonyms right after each other to kind of uh, evidence the, the whole of those emotions or those issues, and so it could be that's what he's doing here. He's just saying all kinds of wrath and anger. Uh, There's also some suggestion by commentators that these are two different types. The first one, wrath, being kind of this angry outburst that just happens. Do you ever have angry outburst that just happens that you weren't expecting it? It just comes out of you. And then anger being that kind of uh, ever-present background seething rage that we have. So something that we always bear towards someone. Something that grows, something that festers and boils and is always there. Next, we have clamor. And this is uh, quarreling, or we might kind of say it angry shouting. If you've ever heard someone angrily shouting at someone else, you've borne witness to clamor. That's what it is. That's, That's the name for it. Um, Some marriages devolve into this, and maybe you know a marriage like that, where the only kind of words between them are not words of tenderness and love, not words of romance, not words like we see in the songs of Solomon, but rather angry, hateful, just shouting at one another. So there's clamor. And then there's slander, and what's slander? And if this word would be used in discussion with God. So slander to God, we're talking about the word blasphemy. So that might help sharpen our understanding what this is. But slander is this kind of evilly uh, speaking of someone else or cutting them down or uh, talking bad about someone else. Uh, Something like, you know, uh, you won't believe how stupid he is. Let me tell you, how stupid this person is, or she's the ugliest woman I've ever seen. I don't understand how her husband puts up with her, right? That that kind of language is slanderous. And of course it gets worse than that. And then Paul says, along with all malice at the end of the verse there, and malice is just this kind of, uh, it encapsulates the whole, right? It's all kinds of evil, uh, evil intent towards others, And whether that's in our action or in our speech, it's malicious, maliciously uh, viewing that person and doing whatever we can to bring harm to them and to hurt them and to destroy them. And these actions are commonly dealt with in the scriptures. Uh, We could look at Colossians 3.8, which we know the book of Colossians is close to the book of Ephesians. They share a lot in common. They share similar contexts. Or we could look at first peter 2 1 so these are things that come up in the scripture these these kinds of problems Um, we could for instance look at romans 1 where god says when he gives people over to their sin these are some of the sins that god gives people over to and the point of is that these things are common in the world and so why do i mention that because it could be that there's not a specific problem within the ephesian church and remember that this letter is to be probably read by many other churches. And so I think Paul here may just be giving us a general exhortation, a general admonishment about these issues and not dealing with specific problems within the church. But either way, this means that we here today who are reading Paul's words have to deal with these these situations, these problems, these sins. And I want us to note the movement in this verse as well, in verse 31. And there's kind of two kinds of movement that I want us to notice. I'll say at the outset that we could really dip our toes into any of these sins at any point, right? We don't have to go through each one of them individually to get to the end part. So what I mean, I mean, we can slander someone without ever having been bitter towards them. We could have an angry outburst without having uh, a bitterness in us. Or we could have angry yelling at someone without ever having a seething rage that is long tended in our heart. But I think this is a common route for us to go. So as we look at kind of the, the trajectory of our heart, the trajectory of our feelings and actions, This is probably something very common for us to go down. So notice that we go from, and this is the movement here, right? This is the first kind of movement. We go from internal attitude to external action. It begins in the heart, and it acts its way out into our speech, into our action. right? We begin with bitterness, resentment within us towards another person. And this may give rise to outbursts of anger, or to that seething rage. And sometimes, right, that seething rage, the other person may not even know anything about it. But we know it, and we harbor it, and we feed it. And how easy it is, right, to move from anger towards someone to angry yelling, to clamor with someone else. It spills over. And how easy it is to move from that seething rage towards another person to cutting them down, to slandering them before other people. I think it's rare that we probably started slandering. It's probably more that we've been bitter towards them for a long time. And so that leads us to cutting them down in the eyes of others. So that's the first kind of movement. The second kind of movement I want us to notice is that this is escalating. It's escalating behaviors. right? It, it gets worse as you go along. Unchecked bitterness that leads to outbursts of anger, to con- consistent anger, to hateful words. That's escalating. Right? That's an escalating behavior. And we can go to the Sermon on the Mount to really help us to understand this To see that, and and the reason why I want us to do that is to see that sometimes these kind of more innocuous sins to us, these little sins to us, right? Bitter doesn't, bitterness doesn't seem like a really big deal, but we have to understand that at the root of that leads to something else. And if we're not dealing with those sin problems at the first set, right, they begin to grow and change and transform, or we might say to malform, right? They begin to grow and malform into evil and worse evil. So let's look at Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus deals with two sin issues. Matthew 5, and we'll look at um, starting at just verses 21 and 22. And Jesus deals with these issues of sin. And what I want us to notice here is, is notice that in the eyes of the Jewish people, the sin was the external action. And obedience to the command of God was to just not commit that external action. That's the Jewish thought. But Jesus says, no, the problem is much deeper. The problem is much greater than just an external action. It's also an internal attitude. Because that internal attitude leads to an external action if it's left unchecked. So notice this here. Uh, Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So notice that there. We just think the command is, thou shalt not murder, and that's it. And that's typically a pretty easy command to keep, right? We have to kind of go out of our way to, to break that one. But what Jesus tells us here is that the problem is not just the murderous act. That's a big problem, right? That's a big problem. That's a big sin. But the problem is much deeper than that. We have to understand that we don't start at murder. Where do we start? Well, maybe we start with bitterness. And bitterness left unchecked leads to anger. And anger left unchecked leads to murder. Right? We could go back to Genesis and look again at the story of Cain and Abel. What came before Cain's murder of his brother? anger so we have to understand that anger is a starting point not the end point anger can be sinful and most often is sinful and if we don't deal with it we will end up doing something far worse Uh, Let's look at the the second command here in verses 27 through 28. Jesus speaking again says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I'll just say, we could also say, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with him in her heart. So what's the point here, right? It's the same thing. It's a rare occasion that we just wake up one morning and go, you know what I want to do today? I want to go have an adulterous affair. That's, I'm going to put that on my to-do list. Top one, step one today. Let's go have it. Let's go be an adulterer, right? That doesn't happen. What does happen, however, is we begin to nurture desire, wrong desire, lustful desire, and that leads to adultery, right? So the problem of adultery, that's a sin, that's a bad sin. We shouldn't do it. It's condemned by God. But let's not forget the sin behind the sin, lust, right? And, and understand that Our society says that things that are neutral and healthy, like porn, aren't. It opens up the possibility of doing things in our mind. It's lust, right? It's nurturing lust. And what happens when we nurture lust? We commit adultery. If not just in our minds, in reality. That's how we end up there. So the first sin isn't rooted in the actual sin itself. The first sin is something far deeper. The first sin has its tendrils in us. And again, its roots grow down deep in us. And from it blossoms vile evil, hatred, and transgression. And remember what Jesus teaches about what defiles us. What is it that defiles us as a people? Is it because we don't ritually wash our hands before we eat? Matthew 15:18 through 19. Matthew 15:18 through 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. The problem is our hearts. This is what defiles a person before a holy God. It's not just that we sin out there. It's that, our, that we are sinners ourselves. That at our core, unchanged by the grace of God, at our core, we are sinners. And we only ever want sin. You have to understand that the biggest issue is not the person who has sinned against you, whether or not they've actually sinned against you. But your biggest issue is that you have not gotten your way. Your biggest problem is your heart. And in this, I'm not saying that what other people do or don't do to us is not consequential, that it doesn't matter. This week in my readings, I've been in the book of 2 Samuel, and I've been in the section where David sins with Bathsheba. And David's sin was not inconsequential. It affected generations. Do you realize that? David's sin had an effect for generations. But when David repents, when God gives him sight to see his sin, what does David say? What does he sing in Psalm 51? Verse 4 tells us, Against you and you only have I sinned, And done what is evil in your sight. Now we pause the press there, hit the pause button, right, and say, Did David sin only against the Lord? No, David sinned against Bathsheba, against Uriah, against the men that were killed alongside of Uriah when David had Uriah uh, executed, essentially, against the whole of the people of Israel. David sinned a lot. And hurt a lot of people in his sin but his first and greatest failure was not to the people of the Lord was but to the Lord himself his first and greatest problem was a heart problem a heart before a holy God problem and that's yours too you friend have a sin issue And it's not that you get angry or that you've shouted at someone else in anger. Though those are problems. But it's in the core of who you are, you are a sinner. It's not just that you sin sometimes. It's that your whole life is marked by sin. And what's the answer to this? Christ Jesus. Jesus came to do away with sin. He came to pay the penalty of sin. In his perfect life, in his sacrificial death, in his glorious resurrection and ascension, he made possible forgiveness with God. And so what we need to do is repent of our evil ways, repent of our sins, ask God to forgive you, and look to Christ. But as we consider our our verse here, verse 31, why do we do this? Why do we end up here? Why do we... Why do we end up in bitterness? Or why do we end up in slander? Well, we can certainly understand most generally, right? Sin. Our sin nature. That's why we get there, right? Most generally, we could talk about that. We could talk about this in the connection with pride. And pride often has its connection points with other sins in our lives. And certainly it does here, right? Pride, our pride being wounded could be the start of bitterness and anger. But remember that the context of this passage is the church, that this is a letter written to the church. And most specifically, right, Paul is calling Christians to exhibit different behaviors and actions in order to maintain, eagerly maintain, the unity of the church. These are community-destroying sins. So what causes these sin issues? Why do they arise? Well, first and foremost, right, again, we are still sinful people. And when we want to do good, evil lies close at hand. And this means that sometimes what other people do to us we think is sinful But it's not. Right? So, so hear that closely. One category of sin is not that the other person sinned, but we sin in our response to their action. Right? So, the first level we might say is sin in us. We were offended. We were hurt. We took Uh, You know, our pride is hurt. And so we sin in response to that. Even though the other person has not sinned. Right. We sin by letting bitter anger dwell in our hearts. The second thing is sometimes another person does sin against us. Right. So they, they have sinned against us. And our response to that is. Not any of the things that we ought to respond with, right? Love, forgiveness, mercy, grace. But we think ourselves justified in acting in sinful ways. So the person sins against us and then we say, well, I have a right to be bitter. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to angrily yell at that person because they've sinned against me. And in this, we act not like Christ, but the world, right? We return evil for evil. The second thing we have to realize is that why does this happen in the context of a church fellowship? Is that we have to realize that not always everyone within the church fellowship is actually of the church. Do you understand what I mean by that? Let me explain that. In other words, there may be people within the church fellowship. Who profess to believe in Christ, but the evidence of their actions is that they don't know Christ. And so Jesus might say to them on the day of judgment, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Right? We have to understand that within the church there are sheep, those who are true believers, and there are goats. Those who are about the same size as the sheep, but aren't, right? Who aren't really believers. The sad reality of this is that within the church fellowship, that this is a failure of discipleship, so training, and also discipline, correction. The church has allowed, and I'm saying the church generally here, the church has allowed, look at the state of the American church, and we will see this to be true. The church has allowed sinful men and women to remain unchecked. I could give you examples of the things that I have seen in my few years of life, sinful men and women in positions of leadership they have no right of being in, of positions of authority they have no right to wield, and nobody stands up against them. And then we wonder why the church dissolves. Often in the modern American church, there's a, a lack of concern of holiness. So not only do sinful men and women remain in leadership, but let's like just discount that. Let's say that they are real believers. There's no holiness. There's no call to holiness. There's no striving for holiness. That you know, it's the kind of the the hymn, just as you are, and we mean that as to you're coming to Christ, and also you're being in Christ. What do I mean? Come as you are and stay as you are. Come as you are and don't worry about changing ever. Come as you are and don't worry about your sin problems. Jesus doesn't care. And that's a lie. And so what's the result of all this? What's the result if we get our way and allow our anger to go unchecked? What what's the result if we begin to be malicious towards our brothers and sisters in Christ? Does it matter? Well, in context, we can certainly say, verse 30, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Has the Holy Spirit saved you and sealed you for the day of redemption? For the sake that you could hold on to bitterness. He's not pleased with it. He didn't seal us for the day of redemption so that we could be clamorous. He is not indwelled to us that we may walk in anger. And we ought to also consider that in, in the context, right? This we're talking about the destruction of community, right? These are fellowship destroying sins. These aren't neutral things. These kinds of attitudes and actions left unchecked in a marriage end in what? Divorce. That the marriage is irreconcilable. And irretrievably broken. That's the language in the court documents, right? In the court papers you file. There's never any hope of reconciliation or restoration of the covenant oath that was made. Why? Because these things don't build up in love, do they? They don't build up in love. And within the church, these sins and again i'll just say that that is what they are what we're talking about is sin these are sins these aren't neutral things bitterness is a sin anger wrath is a sin don't be confused by that angrily yelling and cutting someone else down is a sin within the church these destroy it right they destroy the god created unity of the body of Christ. And when God has joined together, let no man separate. The reality of where these things lead is death. What's the result of sin? The wages of sin is death. And whether that's the second death reserved for unrepentant sinners, or whether it's the kind of chastisement that God uses to correct us, either of those is not what God has first created us for. It is a good thing for God to chastise his people. But understand that that is not what we were created for, to be chastised. So what we need, but it's not what we were first created for. And so God commands us. What does he command us here? He says, put away these sins. Put them away. Be done with them. Take off the old mantle of bitterness. Repent of the angry words that lead to harming others. Whereas Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 tells us. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. Listen to this. Strive for peace with everyone. And I'll just pause here and say, does that, did that scripture just say, The other person has to strive with peace for you. No. What does it say? You strive for peace. Even if the other person doesn't strive for it, you are to strive for it, okay? But if you're in Christ, we're all to strive for it. I'm not giving the other person an excuse. I'm just saying. Who is the the evidence on, right? Who's, Who's the weight of it on? Who's the responsibility of it on? Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. What is God telling us there? What happens when we let a root of bitterness stay? It causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Your sin doesn't just affect you; it pours out to everyone else too. And in verse fifteen, they right, "See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God." We have a responsibility to one another, brothers and sisters. We are to see to it that we don't fail to obtain. We are to see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. We're to strive for peace. We're to work towards it. We're to strive for holiness. Right? That's on us. Who does that work of holiness in us? God. How is it possible? God. Who's ensuring it happens in us? God. But we're to work out our faith with fear and trembling. Or to strive for holiness. We might say that word, by the way, in another way. Strive for Christ's likeness. Christ is our example here. And so we pray, we, we ask God, how do we deal with this? We ask God, right? We, we seek God's help, we seek God's grace, we ask Him to help with the bitterness within us. We understand that bitterness within the body will kill it. Bitterness within a church. Ruins the witness of the church. It ruins the fellowship of the believers. A church living in bitterness had as well close its doors because it will be ineffectual. Do you understand how serious this sin is? And by the way, I focus on bitterness here because, again, that's the internal attitude. And it's easy for us to think that our internal attitudes don't matter. I've had people tell me before, for instance, you know, working in retail, it takes a lot of patience. And sometimes people say to me, you are so patient with that person. I said, if you knew what was going on in my head, you would know that there was no patience in me. I just hid it well in my outward action. And that's not a laudable thing to achieve. Sins of the attitude are still sins. And they are serious and need to be dealt with and we don't have to close the doors of the church because bitterness springs up among us what do we do we see to it we deal with it well how do we deal with it well if a sinful offense has occurred we address it if you're the offender you go and confess your sins matthew 5 23 through 24 jesus tells us if you're there at the altar offering your sacrifice, and you remember that your brother has something against you, what do you do? Stop everything and go and deal with it. Then come back and offer your offering. That's again Matthew 5. If the other person is the offender, what do we do about it? Matthew 18. Starting in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But again, here we have to recognize that not everything that offends us is sinful. Sometimes the sin in the circumstance is our own. Right? Again, we get angry. Why? Because our pride was hurt. Because the other person spoke the truth in love and we didn't want to hear it. That's not a sin on their part. It's a sin on our part for being prideful and unwilling to listen. Or sometimes we get angry because we didn't get our way. How many spoiled rotten children do we know? How many little Veruca salts, right, that i want it now and if i don't get it now i'm gonna get angry you remember the song she's angry during that song she's not happy she's not a happy little child singing a happy little song it's an angry song i want it now we have to understand that again sometimes our sin is within us that's a sinful problem on our part not on the part of the person who is maybe withholding something we don't really need that is not for our good so in this week, you know, we have to examine ourselves. We have to seek God. We have to ask him to show us the truth of our hearts. And we need to repent. We ask God for forgiveness. And if we've expressed ourselves in sinful ways before other people. So, right, if the bitterness has shown up and expressed itself and publicly, then we need to publicly repent. Right. We need to go to that person and say, forgive me for acting in that manner towards you. And finally, we have to realize that living in these bodies of sin, sometimes the circumstance is murky. And what do I mean by that? It can be difficult to tell if a sin has been committed or not. It can be difficult to to see where the fault lies. And again, in this, we need to seek God. We need to ask him for understanding. We need to examine ourselves. We need to seek grace. We need to have conversations about these circumstances. Sometimes we need to get an outside perspective. And again, we have to be careful there because we don't want to slander the other person. But sometimes we need to have a conversation with someone else and say, listen, here's the situation. Here's what's happened. What do you you make of this? What's my part in this? How have I sinned in this? have I sinned in this? Proverbs 25 is instructive here. The purpose, Proverbs 25, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Right, so sometimes we don't know ourselves, and we need someone else to help us. And let's resolve this from 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. What's the point there? We can forgive one another generously when we love that other person. We cannot take it to heart that they meant us harm when we love that other person. So we take off these sinful acts. We put on the righteousness of Christ. And then notice the positive command here, right? That's the negative command. Don't. Get rid of. Be done with this stuff. What's the positive command here in this passage? What kind of new manners should we have? Verse thirty-two: Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. No, no, notice the contrast here, right? In the verse prior, it's it's real acrimony, it's real hatred, it's maliciousness, it's vile. Do you feel like you feel the sickness of that verse? And then you get to verse 32, and who doesn't want this kind of relationship, right? Do you want, and, and I will say here, I understand that there are some people who do want to live in anger, bitterness their whole life. Um, I know people like this. That's, that's their life. They are most happy when they are most bitter and angry towards someone else. But do you want that? Does Christ want that for you? Wouldn't it be much better to dwell in kindness and compassion and forgiveness? Right. Verse 31 is common in our culture. It's common right now. We're approaching a political season where it's all going to be all the more common. right? All the more common. Uh, this will be a most divisive political season, one that will probably go in the history books for one reason or another. But brothers and sisters, what is common in our culture should not be common in here. And what this looks like, for instance, in the coming political days is that we do not take offense at the political beliefs of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. If they are truly in Christ, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it does matter. It doesn't matter. Right. Uh, Even if they don't align with ourselves We can debate about these things. We can disagree about these things. But we shouldn't get to the point of bitter wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Because at the end of the day, what unites us together is greater than what separates us. And we are to do what? Be eager to maintain the unity of the body. So instead of the kind of bitter hate that leads us to saying do all kinds of malicious things against others let us be kind. Do you know how to be kind? Do you know what that means? Like John Gill, he describes kindness this way. Let's listen to this description and ask of yourself am I kind? Am I kind to my fellow brothers and sisters? Listen to this. Good affable courteous which appears in looks words and actions by looking pleasantly on each other speaking kindly to one another and mutually doing every good office that lies in their way and in their power don't you just love that description pleasant looks as part of kindness People can tell in your looks whether or not you are bitter towards them or hateful. We help one another. We do good to one another. Philippians 2.4. Philippians 2.4. And look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Rather than being so self-absorbed that we only think about how whatever action affects us. Let us be concerned with how our action affects others. And let me say that again. Rather than being so self-absorbed that we only think about how others' actions affects us, let us strive to be concerned with how our actions affect others. And that's not easy, right? I understand that. But it's what we are called to in Christ. This second word here, tender-hearted, we could also say compassion here. It's the word compassionate. Uh, We are moved to mercy. Listen. When we see our brother or sister struggling with their sin. Are we moved to judgment? Or are we moved with compassion? Say, oh, God, help them. God, give them grace. God, help me help them. How can I be kind to them and raise them up out of that situation? How, How can I meet them in their need. Instead of responding with bitter anger, when we notice weakness and need in our fellow brothers and sisters, we respond with mercy. We show patience. We're slow to anger. 1 Peter Peter 3.8 Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Again, I would just say I, I find it exhausting to live in hate because it's not just destructive to others, it's destructive to us. And what a breath of fresh air, humble love is. So instead of hateful speech, let there be sympathetic speech. And whether a brother sins against us, what do we do? Do we just get upset and shout about it? Do we do nothing and let bitterness just simmer under the surface until it finally shows up one day in anger? No, we forgive them. Notice that here, right? Forgive them, forgiving one another. Here's the reality, church. Look to your left, look to your right, look in front of you, look behind you. That person is probably going to sin against you one day. I will sin against you one day. And what are we called to do in Christ? Forgive one another. Forgiving one another. And what's, what's it likened to? As, just as, God and Christ forgave you. God has forgiven us so much greater sins Than anyone else could ever sin against us. And I know we struggle to believe that sometimes. But that's the reality. Again, forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness does not mean allowing evil to continue or to being a doormat for evil. I'm not saying that. But forgiveness does mean understanding who we are in Christ, what he has done for us, and what that necessarily entails in our relationship with others. And I say this knowing that there are a host of complex situations such as physical abuse, uh, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse that make forgiveness difficult, if not impossible. And if you're in such a situation, just know that there is grace sufficient for you in Christ. And hear this, our forgiveness of others does not mean that God's justice won't be met out. God will be just. So, when someone sins against us, what are we to do? We leave the situation. We leave such things in the hands of our good, holy, righteous, omnipotent God vengeance is mine says the Lord I will repay and by the way you could look at Romans 12 17 through 19 and see that Romans 12 17 through 19 where Paul tells us if possible so far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone so if it is true that the Christian life is one of different speech and actions and relating to others then what Paul writes here demands your attention. These are not just interesting data points, right? These aren't just, oh, you know, let's go through a list. Let's just have a list here. Let's have 12 ways to organize your sock drawer and let's file what Paul says here next to that because that's how important it is. No, these are not just another set of moral commands that we just shrug about and go on our way. Brothers and sisters in Christ, these are God's commands to you. And if you have truly been saved, then you will want to heed these things. And if you don't repent of apathetic behavior that says these things don't matter, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and it doesn't matter, then we have to be concerned about the state of your soul before God. Because it does matter. And God is concerned. So repent of your desire for sinful things. Christians, bitterness and its successive parts needs to be dealt with. You cannot live as the world lives. You cannot let anger and its component parts dwell in you. You can't walk in it. Christ calls you out of it. In matters of sin, you need to confront it. If it's your own sin, repent of it. Ask forgiveness from your fellow church member. And if it's their sin, address it. We address sin with one another in accord with Matthew 18, right? That's our guideline. And listen closely here about that. When we address the sin of someone else, the goal is restoration, not division. It's easy to go into a conversation about someone else's sin and have resolved in our mind, I know that they're not going to respond to what I say, and I know that they're going to reject it, and I know they're not going to repent it, and I know that this is just going to prove that what I think about them is exactly true. But that is not how we are to approach one another when we confront sin we are to go in it not desiring that our assumptions are correct we're to go in it praying for pleading for hoping for seeking for reconciliation we want to gain our brother or sister back And by the way as far as it depends on you Strive for peace. Live at peace. In issues of opinion, when our opinion is offended, consider others as more important than yourself. Lay aside the death hold you have on your opinions and thoughts. You may be right, you could also be wrong. In all this, we need to be more charitable with others. We need to have compassion. We need to be kind. We need to give grace to others. Listen, what do I mean by that? Rather than jumping to in our mind the, the conclusion that they hate us, that they're seeking us, that they're our enemy. Rather than assuming the worst about someone else or what they say, we assume the best. Until we're proven wrong, we assume the best. Consider that the other person may be correct. They may have a better idea. Or consider at least that both opinions that are at issue can coexist safely aside each other. And each person carries out what their conscience tells them. Let me be clear that in our culture, we have a dire need for charity. We have a dire need for love. In our day, we excitedly hurry to correcting someone else before we ever seek to understand them. So before we have even undertaken the listening to them and understanding them and making sure we know what they mean by something, we just say, nope, you're wrong. Here's why. Nope, you're an idiot. Here's why. Right? Here's an example of that. We expect that the person who pulled out in front of us on the highway did it because they're a jerk. They're a mean person. They saw us coming and they pulled out anyways and they just they just are think they're self-important. Who cares if they get in an accident? Right? Rather than thinking that charity would say they must not have seen me. Or maybe they really are in a rush. They're headed in the direction of the hospital. Maybe, they've, maybe there's something really going on and they, they need to be there quick. You notice the difference? Do you see the difference there? Beloved, you are not called to live like the world. What may be common in the world must be uncommon among us. And all this means that we must be ready to forgive. Forgiveness isn't your last option in a situation. It should be the first option. And if you understand, and if you are in Christ, you should understand this. If you understand what you have been forgiven, then it should come easier for you to forgive others. Now, some of you will doubtless say, but you don't know what that person did to me. They've sinned against me 70 times in the same way. You don't know how often that person has hurt me. Or, she doesn't forgive me when I mess up, why should I forgive her? Understand that most especially if you call yourself a Christian, if you profess the name of Christ, then forgiveness, kindness, compassion is not optional. Being done with maliciousness and putting an end to resentment isn't just one option. It's the command of God. Let me be clear here, too, that being moral doesn't save you. Being kind, forgiving others does not save you. Don't take Paul's commands here as the pathway to salvation, because it's not. It's the pathway after you have been saved. Don't get that wrong, because the only thing that will save you is the grace of God, the unmerited unearned favor of god you need the work of jesus because the problem is not that you sin here or there it's that your whole life is marked by sin there is never enough good that you can do that can outweigh the sin in your life the deeper issue is your heart your heart is corrupted by sin it's stained with sin From your soul springs all kinds of evil attitudes and actions, and you cannot change it on your own. Only God can. God does that work, and God promises to do that work. He promises that he will give you a new heart, one that can hear and know his commands and obey them. He says that he will give to his people a new heart. He will give his Holy Spirit to seal you, to mark you, to change you. So how do you get that new heart? Confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart. Believe in your soul. Believe in the deepest part of you that God raised him from the grave. And the scripture promises, you will be saved. Mm. Ask God to save you. Ask God to change you. He will. And then strive to obey his word. But only after the first part. Strive to obey his word. Seek to do good. Take off the old man with his corrupt affections and desires. And put on the new man with new speech with new life, with new actions and behaviors. Learn Christ Jesus. Love him. And if you love him, you'll obey his commands. Let's pray. Oh, great God in heaven. We come to you today as as needy people. Father God, we need your mercy and grace Father, we confess before you in this moment all kinds of evil things that we have said and done. Father, things that even now you are bringing to mind by your Spirit, we want to confess those to you. We want to seek your forgiveness, God. We pray that you would forgive us for the evil that we have done against you. Father, we we want to confess our sins before you because we know they're abhorrent in your eyes that that they are offensive to you who is holy and lord god we pray that in your forgiveness we would find the strength to forgive others to walk in holiness before you because that's what you call us unto not as not as a pressing weight not as something that we dread to do, but, Lord, as a joy. Father, that all these things, these being kind to one another, being compassionate, tender-hearted towards one another, Lord, that these things would spring from the joy of your salvation, that, Lord, you have changed us, you have saved us, that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, Lord, that you are good and glorious and great, And Father, we want to reflect that to others. Lord God, we want our our lives to reflect you because you you are good. You are glorious. And there is no better way to live than but what you have commanded for us. Father, your commands are for our good. We confess that this morning. And Lord, we pray for those Those in our midst, those who are hearing this, that are dead in their sins and trespasses, that still continue to walk after the prince of the power of this air, uh, the prince of this world. Father, we pray that you would have mercy upon them, that you would give them your spirit to break their sin. And Father, that they would confess Christ as Lord and Savior. And Father, help us as we go this week. Lord God, we know, we know, we confess this, Lord God, to you. We know that it is easy to hear these things and hard to practice them. And Father, we pray that as we go through this day and this week, that these things would be on the forefront of our minds, that we may glorify you in our lives. Father, give us strength and help because we know that the evil one will whisper lies to the contrary. And even right now, Lord, we know uh, that he is quick to snatch the word that has been sown. Father, that he loves nothing more than to see the body of Christ divided. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, we pray. Oh, Father God, help us. Lord, be glorified in us. And so we pray this in the name of your only begotten Son and our only Lord and Savior, He who is risen and who is coming again. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.